All right, we're continuing with part two of the homily. Uh, so we have the second lesson in front of us. We've already read it together as a congregation. So let's jump back into it. So we've encountered the idea so far this morning that God in the flesh came and pitched God's tent among us. We are encountering Jesus in this gospel for the first time, his formal ministry. And we ask the question, what does John the Baptist tell us about Jesus? To whom is he bearing witness? What does John, the gospel writer, want us to know about this savior? He's called the Lamb of God, the chosen one, the anointed teacher, the one who takes away the sin of the world, a number of things. And I want to propose for us this morning that to understand all of these identity claims, we must first understand the backstory, the context, the religious faith and tradition that birthed Christ, that birthed both John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Just as we see John the Gospel writer clarifying his terminology in our passage for his Greek, Greek audience, that rabbi means teacher, that Messiah means anointed, that Cephas means Peter, so we must pause and decode and appreciate our removed 21st century Western context and try to appreciate the legacy of the Jewish people and faith that culminates in this unveiling of Jesus of Nazareth. The story of God, the Christian faith, is birthed out of a legacy, a particular story. Back to that idea of particularity again. Every week that we observe the Lord's table, we are sharing in this legacy of a shared meal observed throughout the generations by those who have gone before us. Legacies, histories, and traditions shape us, they anchor us, they bind us together, and they lend identity. To understand what John the baptizer and what John the gospel writer are saying about Christ, both here and throughout this gospel, we need to try to appreciate where we've come from and what preceded them. We see the importance of observing and marking legacy in our own families, and communities, not least over the holidays this past month or so. For the past few years, friends have shared their Mexican family's cultural observance of Three Kings Day, or Feast of the Epiphany, celebrated on January 6th, where one lucky person, usually a child, gets the slice of cake with the hidden baby Jesus baked into it. Or others have shared with me their Jewish tradition of enjoying Hanukkah donuts, also known by other names I don't pronounce well, but you can only get these delicious, sweet fried balls of dough filled with jelly and caramel and other delicious fillings during Hanukkah from a kosher Jewish bakery. This past Christmas, my husband's Nana brought over a round, delicious, almond-infused cake which I'm learning is a favorite in many Dutch households. Tomorrow we celebrate another legacy, a national legacy, that of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We mark the day and remember. 
perhaps reading Reverend King's letter from a Birmingham jail, perhaps talking to our children, maybe visiting the DuSable Black History Museum and Education Center in Hyde Park. The unveiling of Christ, the first moments of his formal ministry, are similarly rooted in a legacy, a story. God's workings through a people, a faith, a tradition, a nation. Both John the Gospel writer and John the Baptist know where they come from. There is rich imagery and allusion throughout these two paragraphs to the story of Israel and Israel's longings and anticipation for a Messiah. And it's easy for us to miss this, to parachute in and divorce Jesus from his faith, his background, and his context. John the Baptist himself is the last in a long line of Jewish prophets, voices anticipating the coming Christ and the coming Messiah. So for him to be the one to bear witness to the Christ beautifully links the Jewish faith to God's revelation in Jesus of Nazareth. The spirit descending on Jesus in our passage fulfills the Jewish hope for the prophesied Davidic ruler spoken of in Isaiah 11, which says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The image of Jesus as the Lamb of God carries with it rich layers and textures from the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, the victorious and exalted lamb from Revelation and other contemporaneous Jewish writings of the time, and the hoped-for lamb sacrifice that Abraham spoke of in Genesis 22, and of course, John's favorite theme, the Passover lamb. The lamb of God as the Passover lamb, a theme that John carries throughout all of his gospel, more so than any of the other gospel writers. The identity of Jesus is linked to this, this beloved and long-held promise of Jewish Passover deliverance, legacy. This chosen one is Israel's long-awaited Messiah, mighty and triumphant. This would have resonated with the Jewish audience, but John tells us that he comes as a humble lamb, the Passover sacrifice. John the Baptist, operating from within the story of his people, is thoughtfully helping to shape and give form and bear witness to this Messiah. God come to earth, the Messiah finally revealed to Israel. And yes, he is particularly for Israel. But he is also, he is also, oh, where did I go? But we are also told that the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. So this universal note, this, this world reference, is expanding Israel's story and legacy to incorporate you and to incorporate me. God's global mission is heard again and again throughout the course of this gospel, not least with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son the Passover lamb, that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. The legacy expands, the plot thickens. 
In God's particularity, a light is shining to all the nations. These have always been God's intentions. We're only in chapter one, so there is much yet to uncover, but we see that he is Israel's long-awaited savior. The representative of Israel and truly the representative of humanity as the prologue of this gospel reminds us. John the baptizer and John the gospel writer are signaling to us that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the cherished words Yahweh spoke to Isaiah in Isaiah 49 when comforting the Jewish people in their exile and setting apart Isaiah, a precursor to Jesus. Yahweh says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And finally, we get to hear the first recorded words of Jesus in this gospel. What are you looking for? Our elder brother, King Jesus, has a way of cutting straight to the heart of things. What are you looking for? If you're like me, you have to try not to edit your desires and what it is you are truly and actually looking and longing for before you bring your whole self to God. I imagine that Andrew and the unnamed disciple alongside him when asked this question brought baggage, messiness, doubts, longings for a Messiah that would crush the oppressive Romans, someone to restore the temple to its former glory. When Jesus asks this question and asks it now of you and me, Perhaps we fumble with a response like Andrew and blurt out, where are you staying? staying?" Dodging the true answers to the question asked by Jesus that are threatening to spill over. That's okay. Jesus simply invites us to come and see. Come as you are and see. Find yourself transformed. Attach yourself to this story, this promise that is for the world. Come, Jesus invites you to remain with him, to lodge with him, to abide with him. Another favorite theme of John's in this gospel. The model is this. As we abide with him, we are transformed, given new names, new identities, and transformed legacies. So let us follow together in discipleship this God who has entered space and time. Let us see what he will do throughout the course of this gospel as the Passover lamb, as our teacher, as he dies and is raised to life for our redemption and deliverance. It's okay to come without answers, with limited knowledge, Andrew and Simon and the unnamed disciple didn't know all that Jesus would do. They barely knew who he was, but they submitted to this one upon whom the spirit was resting. They knew this one would be and is the hope for Israel and for the world. 
as we abide with him, as we submit ourselves to this story, attaching ourselves to this vine, we will surely find ourselves stretched, challenged, and above all, deeply loved. Jesus calls us in this gospel to abide in his love just as he abides in the love of the Father. So let's be like John the Baptist and Andrew the disciple pointing to this one that we can't stop following, who has captivated our imagination and our hearts. Running and getting our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and our friends and saying, look, behold, God has come to dwell with us. We've found the Savior, the answer of what we've been looking for all along. The Holy Spirit is at work in us and through us and for us and in spite of us. Thank God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks be to God.